This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be here with you this Thursday night. Uh, if you want to join the program, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a couple of things that are going on in the uh, in the world tonight. One of the things that I, I caught my eye early today, I was looking at, and I thought it was an interesting story. Didn't know really how to uh, approach it, but the story has to do with Alabama being the uh, first state uh, to execute use, uh, using nitrogen, right? They executed somebody that was on death row using nitrogen. Uh, I can't even speak nitrogen. The uh, gentleman's name, Kenneth Smith. And I thought it was an interesting story, but I, like I said, I, I, who do I call? Like, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get the, uh, the, the doctor that gave the nitrogen as opposed to a lethal injection. We weren't going to get the warden. Uh, they're not doing interviews on that stuff. They'll make a statement, and that's about it. So it was kind of difficult to really pursue the story, but I thought it was interesting that there was even such a big deal about making this change. And I know it was a change because they had tried to kill the last guy, and, and the guy didn't die, and they had to go back in. It was a little crazy. And, and that's obviously um, horrific. But it, it just makes me think. When I was a teenager... There was this, you know, before Netflix, before all the rest of the streaming platforms, there was something called a VCR, right? A VHS player. And we would all rent or get from somebody who had rented or purchased uh, a video of a, of a documentary called Faces of Death. And I think back then there was like eight parts of it. And I remember Faces of Death being very interesting because it was all about executions that were caught on video. And they'd show it from all over the world, you know, certain places where, you know, people would steal and get their hands cut off and then die from bleeding to death or uh, people that were uh, in the, in a place in the world where they still use the guillotine, uh, plenty of electric chair footage. And my, my thought was, we've been using death by execution for a long time, right? By hanging, by electrocution, uh, then came lethal injection. Why are we trying to invent new ways to kill people? Now, I guess um, the, the question becomes, well, maybe we're not doing it in a humane way. And there's a, a nicer way to murder someone or kill them, right? Not murder, but kill um, as part of their uh, punishment. All right. I, I mean, I'll bite on that idea. But 
did the electric chair not work? I, I just, uh, I'm so curious to know why we even do that. And I know that they give you their story, but I'm just thinking if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, you know, nitrogen seems to be the, the, the newest thing. So I don't know. Uh, Peter Navarro, by the way, uh, we invited him on the show, but he's a little busy today. He was um, sentenced to four months in prison for contempt of Congress. And um, I think that's a shame. I mean, again, he had um, what you call the um, what's that called? Not immunity, but um, privilege. He had presidential privilege because the information was privileged to the president and he it wasn't his privilege to waive. So anyway, uh, I wanted to get into this execution stuff a little bit because I thought it was interesting. I also want to get into a clip of Michael Moore. This is an old clip a couple of years back from the last election. And I thought it was so prescient then and now that Michael Moore was kind of calling the election for Trump in many ways because he, he understood that he was speaking to a part of the population that wasn't getting the message that they that they felt they deserved to hear. And the reality is they do, right? Uh, Americans do deserve to know that there's a government that's responsive to them. Just because I'm a cynic and I don't believe that uh, any politician is here to like me or care about me doesn't mean that that shouldn't be the case, right? And people all the time always try to tell me, hey, you know, so-and-so doesn't care about you. My thoughts always, so? I don't care if they care about me. I care that they're the right person to do the job. But I, I realize other people want to be cared for and whatever, and, that's, and you should, right? I think when, when Trump does what he's doing, when Carrie Lake does what he's doing, what she's doing, when people walk away from these positions in life where they're doing well and, and them and their families are okay and they don't have to run around shaking hands and kissing babies and, and competing and putting themselves out there and losing money in some cases – they don't have to do it, but they do. And it's it's for their families. It's for their grandchildren. It's for the next generation. It's because of their own patriotism, their love of country. And and you have to just stop and say, man, thanks. I appreciate that. I think it's a good thing. Matter of fact, the first time I ever talked to Donald Trump over the phone wasn't uh, like an interview, but it was literally what I asked him. I said, well, you know, why, well, how do you do it? Not why do you do it, but how do you do it? And he said, oh, it's tough. It's very tough. But uh, I knew why they did it because I'd asked Don Jr. in an interview and he said, you know, it's just what we felt we had to do. My dad felt he had to do this. And I'm not trying to make a martyr out of Trump or a superhero, but I am saying he, I think his rationale is altruistic. Some people will say, no, 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 he's just looking for uh, a way to, uh, to, to do the next big thing. He's got his nice country club in, in Florida. He's got this. He's got this. And next, that, there may be truth to it. I don't know. But I don't think, is it worth that? You know, when you're 77 years old, is it worth putting the golden years of your life on hold to run around on your jet and, and go from city to city and shake hands and kiss babies and give speech after speech after speech? I can tell you, I do a three-hour radio show. And I just started doing radio sitting down. I always did it standing up for most of my career. And I'm tired. I may not fall asleep right away, but I'm very tired when I'm done with the program. And... It, it's a, it, there's a drain, right? A mental drain, a physical drain from, you know, using the energy to talk. I mean, I'm not a construction worker. I'm not that kind of drained, but my point is it's work. It's work that you put in and Trump does this day in, day out. They all did all these candidates. So it makes you think what's in it for them. Now, somebody like Ramaswamy, 
uh, some stuff came out that he actually made money on the deal. Good for him. I'm happy it worked well for him. But ultimately, I think when we're looking at uh, these candidates that are really going through um, the, the thick of it, they don't do it just because they want the clout. They do it because they feel that it's the right thing to do. And that's why people resonate with the message. And I've got a clip of audio. It's a little bit long, and I probably should have played it three minutes ago. <laughs> but I want you to hear a little bit of uh, Michael Moore. I think this was in 2020, uh, discussing Trump on the election. I think it's spot on. Donald Trump came to the Detroit Economic Club and stood there in front of the Ford Motor executives and said, if you close these factories as you're planning to do in Detroit and build them in Mexico, I'm going to put a 35% tariff on those cars when you send them back and nobody's going to buy them. It was an amazing thing to see. No politician, Republican or Democrat, had ever said anything like that to these executives. And it was music to the ears of people in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, the Brexit states. <laughs> you live here in Ohio, you know what I'm talking about. Whether Trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting. And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. The human hand grenade that they can legally throw into the system that stole their lives from them. And on November 8th, election day, although they've lost their jobs, although they've been foreclosed on by the bank, next came the divorce and now the wife and kids are gone. The car's been repoed. They haven't had a real vacation in years. They're stuck with the Obamacare bronze plan where you can't even get a Percocet. <laughs> They've essentially lost everything they had except one thing. The one thing that doesn't cost them a cent and is guaranteed to them by the American Constitution, the right to vote. They might be penniless, they might be homeless, they might be over and it doesn't matter because it's equalized on that day. A millionaire has the same number of votes as the person without a job, one. And there's more of the former middle class than there are in the millionaire class. So on November 8th, the dispossessed will walk into the voting booth, be handed a ballot, close the curtain and take that lever or felt pen or touchscreen and put a big in the box by the name of the man who has threatened to upend and overturn the very system that has ruined their lives. Donald J. Trump. They see that the elites who ruined their lives hate Trump. Corporate America hates Trump. Wall Street hates Trump. The career politicians hate Trump. The media hates Trump after they loved him and created him and now hate him. Thank you, media. The enemy of my enemy is who I'm voting for on November 8th. Yes, on November 8th, you, Joe Blow, 
Steve Blow, Bob Blow, Billy Blow, Billy Bob Blow, all the blows get to go and blow up the whole damn system because it's your right. Trump's election is going to be the biggest you ever recorded in human history. And it will feel good. Yep. That's it. Michael Moore. Um, Summing it up, I've never agreed with this guy in my life until I heard this clip a couple of years ago, and I thought, let me play that again. I think this is the right time to for this message to replay. I think Americans are tired. I think people everywhere, um, they're, they're just sick and tired of what's going on, and they see that what's happening to them by way of taxes, by way of, of inflation, by way of life just being more difficult to live each day for them, it's the same thing that's happening to Trump, a billionaire from Manhattan, right? <laughs> they make life more difficult for him every day, trying to put him in jail, fake charges on this, fake charges on that. People are disgusted with our legal system because they don't necessarily like Trump. They like justice. And that's what they're not seeing here. And they're giving that big F you to Joe Biden. And we see it every single day. So we'll get to that a little bit uh, more as we uh, work our way through the program tonight. I also want to talk about TikTok and Instagram and all these other uh, Dr. Google, as many call it. You've got teenagers that are now diagnosing themselves and others and, and self-diagnosing themselves just from watching videos from unqualified people on TikTok. And everybody thinks they're depressed. Everybody thinks they have OCD. Everybody thinks they're this, that, and the other. And it's, uh, it's becoming quite epidemic. I want to get into that as well. Uh, as well as other topics. We've got a lot to discuss with what's going on in Israel, as well as the culture war against children. Uh, Our boys still boys, our boys now girls. That's not going anywhere. We're going to talk about that as well. All of that and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to get into this topic we were talking about just before the break. Uh, And that is how teenagers are using TikTok. And it's not just teenagers, right? I mean, there are adults, there are young adults. There's a lot of people that are seeing these videos that go out. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, on any, any of these short uh, videos, even on, on YouTube now, that are kind of diagnosing things. And they're between diagnosing themselves, some of them are diagnosing other people, saying, oh, my gosh, I saw this. You fit the mold. You have this. You're a that. You have, you know, this three-letter disorder. And it's just amazing to me that we're in this place. I mean, there was always that that existed. People always went to WebMD. But uh, I feel it's more prevalent. It, uh, it, it, it's whole situation has been uh, egg, uh, exacerbated by the ease of, of TikTok and, and the, um, the accessibility of, of the web. It's just everywhere, right? Everybody's on Wi-Fi somewhere, and they just have it. So I want to talk to Dr. Vince Callahan. 
He's uh, the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. You could find their website, find-fl.com, findfl.com, because I think it's important that we talk about this. This is coming out of a, a recent study published in the uh, Comprehensive Psychiatry Journal. Dr. Vince Callahan, welcome back. Thanks, man, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be on your show. Well, you bet. You know, there's there's a lot of great psychologists out there, a lot of great therapists, uh, but not everybody's an expert on the brain the way you are. And um, you're honestly here by popular demand. People uh, always write us and tell us that we love this guy, Vince Callahan. I, I get so much feedback when you're on the show, so uh, I always appreciate it when you're here. That's awesome. Thank you. I made my day. Amen to that. So let's talk about this because I'm looking at this um, study as it comes out here from Comprehensive Psychiatry, uh, and it's um, it's um, alarming, right, to say the least, yeah. that social yeah. media is acting as this uh, personality incubator, creating this uh, behavioral um, psychopathology is what it says, and symptom yeah, and disorder authenticity or psychosomatic and and creating i guess like uh psycho um not psycho um hypochondriacs which uh is a scary thought it is absolutely and as it kind of reminds me of when i had my very first abnormal psychology class in college and mm-hmm. after the first or second day i diagnosed myself you know paranoid schizophrenic with whatever <laughs> tendencies and and you and you relate to the, yeah that's me that's me that's me and you and reality is it's not any of you but you all of a sudden you relate to it. And when I look at, I looked at those studies and I, and I look at this and what I see with teams that I work with and, and all the studies made a very interesting statement uh, on the whole TikTok and self-diagnosis. They all said the same thing that these kids or these teenagers, young adults, they feel a sense of community. Yeah. That's a, that's the red flag to me. That's it's, it's showing me the deeper problem. Because the kids, teenagers especially, they want to fit, they want to belong, they want to be a part of something. They are trying to figure out their own identity. And so now we've got this barrage of all of this information coming in. They're going, oh, yeah, that's me, that's me. I belong to this group or I belong to this group. And it gives them that sense of community, but it's really dangerous. Um, because you, when, when you start self-diagnosing you, you don't have the objectivity that a professional does. And you may have a symptom here or a symptom there, but to label yourself and say, hey, I'm, I'm a disassociative identity disorder or I've got schizophrenia or I've got attention deficit or I'm severely depressed, you, you're, you're on a slippery slope. You know, this is a really good point. And I want to pick up on that thread um, straight ahead. We're going to take a quick pause here. Uh, because I, I feel like it's not just TikTok and the diagnoses that people are giving themselves, but I think you also have very young practitioners in your field that have come from schools that are, I don't, I'm going to say more liberal, but I don't mean it politically. I mean it literally more liberal, and, uh, and, and they're quick to give a lot of multiple diagnoses. Folks, we're on with Vince Callahan. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Mr. Valdez, you have some of the greatest shows that radio's ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, Familia, welcome back. We're on with Dr. Vince Callahan. And Dr. Vince Callahan, uh, before the break, I mentioned this, and it's my belief, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you can't say it for, you know, for professional reasons, but uh, I don't want to back anybody into a corner. But I believe that there are both medical practitioners and uh, psychological practitioners that are out there that are more liberal than they used to be. And they're very quick to give multiple diagnoses. And rather than saying, rather than saying, you know, you may have certain traits of this, that, or the other, they're, they're quick to say, um, you know, you've got this and this and that and that and that. And, and they get, they send people home in a frenzy and they're like, they're Googling like crazy. And I've seen it happen to people I know where they're like, Oh, I went to the doctor and they told me I have this, that, or I went to a psychologist or a therapist and they told me they think I might have this, 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 and this. And I, I try to tell them, they think you have it. It's all right. You're going to get better. And, and they're just consumed with this idea that they have all of these things. And you know, that's a lot worse than finding out on, on TikTok or Google that you've got whatever you think you have. Uh, do you think I'm making much ado about nothing or is there a problem there? I think you're right on point, and I would agree with you. I've seen it. I've been in this field for 37 years, and mm-hmm. what I see, unfortunately, uh, I mean, I stopped counting uh, how many hours I've done counseling when I reached 30,000 hours uh, a long time ago. So I've done this a lot, and, and there's, there's two problems that I see, and, and I'm not disparaging anybody in the field. This is right. just one man's opinion that has seen it. Number one we're, we're too reticent to make quick diagnosis. Uh, we, and especially if you're starting out, one of the greatest things that a new practitioner really needs to do is to learn how to refer to somebody that's more mature to get the help because people come in and they go, I feel this way, or I feel this way, or this is what I'm dealing with. And you're right. Um, and unfortunately one of the things that drives Sometimes what drives this field is the pharmaceuticals. I won't go there. I'll leave that alone (laughs) and not be too controversial. But, you know, here's the latest sample. Here have this, have this. Not everybody, but there's some out there. Yeah, it it exists for sure. And 
Because, you know, and I'll just make a quick example of that. If you're a regular person and you don't have any uh, neurological differences in your brain than somebody with ADHD and you take Adderall, you're going to be sharper and clearer and and better. But that doesn't mean that you have ADHD. No, it doesn't. It means you took a hit of speed. Because if you have a (laughs) non-ADHD brain and you take Adderall, it's like taking speed. So you're like a bouncy ball and you're more sharp and you're more clear and you're going to be more focused. And you're going to get things done because you just gave your brain speed. You didn't, you didn't give it what it needs to combat the ADHD. You, you gave yourself a hit of speed. And that's like drinking a hundred cups of coffee at once. I mean, you're, of course you're going to be bouncing. But the other problem that I see is on the other end where sometimes the, the, the psychiatrist, and again, I'm not harping on anybody, but sometimes psychiatrists don't take the time to hear what their patients are saying. It's a 15 or a 30 minute interview. Now, some of them are great. Some of them that I've met over the years will spend an hour or two. God bless those because they really figure out the cocktail that that brain needs for that person. But I've also met the guys that's 15 minutes. How are you doing? How are you sleeping? What are the symptoms? And let me give you this and I'll see you in 30 days. And then I'm going to ask you how you did and what were the side effects and are you doing okay? And basically that 15 minutes over both sides of this coin irritate the fire out of me because that's not what we're about in this business, right? We're in the business of helping people and meeting them where they are and giving them a thousand opportunities to mess up. It's not about us. It's about them. That's a great point. And I think that there's been a departure from that school of thought uh, to, to where we are now. And again, I'm not, not a blanket statement either. I'm sure there's plenty of great new psychologists and therapists and, and even people on the medical side, psychi- psychiatrists that are coming out of um, all the different schools. Uh, but I feel like there's been a departure and, and that's not unique to, to medicine or, or psychology. I think we're, we're seeing a more laissez-faire, more liberal type of uh, person, whether it's in prescription or or even work ethic, uh, a lot of that's just coming out of schools lately in many different disciplines, mm-hmm. so it's not unique that way. But, but I think it lends itself well to, to the problem that we have, right, which is people self-diagnosing on TikTok and, and other right. uh, things like that. And, and I've seen this, you know, again, in my own life, I've had people send me like an Instagram reel from, uh, you know, from some person that claims that they're a whatever coach. And listen, I'm, I got nothing against coaches. Uh, coaches are great. And they don't, they may not have the training that you have, but they may have training somewhere else. But when it comes down to this coach saying, you know, you might be uh, involved in X, Y, and Z if you have one, two, three, four, and five, you know, and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. people are like, yep, I have those. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have those. I now Mm -hmm. have this. I'm now a part of this, you know, and I just find it, it, it's, it's nuts. You know, my, my gut reaction is typically deny, deny. No, I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to see it. Right. But uh, I mean, there could be some truth to it. And I guess I'm, I'm not one to recommend regulation, but how do you see this um, shaping up if people continue to to seek out medical information or not even seek it out? Because with TikTok, Instagram, the, the information finds you, right? The, the algorithms know that you're looking yeah, it at that. It finds your cookies or whatever it is. And then, boom, you've got these videos talking about things. So you're kind of like uh, shooting fish in a barrel. How do you see a a, a fix to this, Doc? Well, I I think there's got to be, like you're talking about in our school system, number one, we've really got to do a better job of training people. And we've got to make sure that the education they're getting 
really speaks to the heart of what this is all about, not just the money side and not just the let me get a paycheck and, and punch the clock, but we really got to get more concerned about human nature and where they are. I mean, simple fact, like in, in the teen world right now, since COVID, teen suicide attempts is up 66%. Wow. That's a so red sad. flag. That's a red flag for the global problem that teenagers are going through. That, that's not the, the problem. That's a symptom on the tree. The root system is these kids are, are struggling with identity. They're struggling at home. Their parents are giving them, here's the tablet, here's the whatever. You know, don't get me started there. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's the fact that we've turned our parenting over to something else. And, and we can't do that. It's got to start where, you know what, I need to sit around the table and have dinner and figure out what's going on in your life and how are you doing. I mean, you know, if, Dr. If, Dr. I'll speak to the parents. Go ahead. Yeah, you bring up a, a great point here, and, and it's one that I want to explore a little bit with the parenting, uh, because I feel like this is um, we're, we're in a place, and, and I don't know if it's good or bad, right or wrong, but we're an in, we're in an interesting place where I feel, you know, I I have a number of guests on this program, yourself and others in, in that are mental health uh, practitioners, and you know, so I'll read a couple articles to make sure I know what questions to ask. And the stuff that I read, you can tell that there are different schools of thought within the discipline, right? Some people saying mm -hmm. that, it, you know, and typically by age, I think for some of the, the, the more mature uh, practitioners tend to write a lot of things off as, well, that the old school did things differently. And then some of the new school are kind of, uh, I'm going to use the word hypersensitive, where they say, no, it's parenting, right? It's parenting and it's, it's a, attachment issues. Even just, I think yesterday, the day before, we had someone on talking about how every melancholy love song that's out there is really describing a trauma bond based on two insecure attachment styles, like anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. And I had to go, you know, find okay. out what these were <laughs> in order to understand this. And right. it, then it began to make sense to me. But my, my point was that, if if Hollywood and music is glorifying these things that we don't really know about because none of us are psychologists, then, right. you know, who's right and who's wrong? So I want you to mull that over for a second. We're going to take a quick pause and come right back. Folks, we're on with Dr. Vince Callahan, and he is the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery, F-I-N-D dash fl.com is the website find hyphen fl.com is the website check them out give him a follow on all the social media that you could see uh, exactly how to follow him on the uh, website there and uh, i love dr vince callahan he's one of my favorites that comes on the show he, he has all the answers and he's uh, and he's a straightforward guy gives it to you uh without the sugar coating and i think that's what we need so stick with me we're coming right back your calls and more 833-482-5337 this is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Dr. Vince Callahan. He's the uh, founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. And Dr. Vince Callahan, uh, we left off and I posed a question, which was, I know that there's, t there's debate in every, in every field, right? Um, and, there's always, and it's good. It's good to have debate, I think, especially when you're dealing with science. 
But um, I've been reading some of the stuff by um, Carl Jung, and it some of it makes sense about the, uh, the the inner shadow and the inner child and all of this stuff. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense. Um, I just don't know if that's the only way. And if there's a departure from that school of thought to another school of thought um, in, in your field, and is it always the parents to blame? Is it a parenting style uh, that is the, the cause of so much of these issues? I know you mentioned COVID in this particular situation, but it seems as the more I read, the more everything comes back to little kids and parenting. And, and that's the, the grand issue. And if it is, why aren't we giving parenting classes? Well, you, you, you bring up a great point, and I'm, I'm going to say, you know, you were talking about attachment and anxious avoidance and all that kind of stuff, and one of the things we've got to do is get better at relating to people in simple terms. Like if I said to you, Rich, the way that you connected with your parents from zero to age five will determine everything about your life relationally through your adult years. That makes sense, right? And that's, and that's the reality of it all. And it is back to the parents. We, we, we've got a very serious problem in our country to where our parents have, have gotten too busy and they're not invested like they need to be in their lives of their kids. They're not seeing the signs and the warning signs. And I'm not saying every parent on the planet is a bad parent, but I'm saying there's a real problem in how we're raising our kids because we have, for little kids, given them over to the tablets and the, and the phones so that don't, they don't yell and scream in the restaurants, and we're doing e-parenting. And then in the teenage years, we're kind of letting them do their thing because that's what they really want to do, when the truth is they're starving for attention. And, and they're not getting the message of, you know what, you can be whatever you want to be in this country, and you can grow up, and you can go to school, and you can get an education and you can do the things that you never dreamed possible because I believe in you. And I don't care how old you are. My father was 90 years old and would still tell me, you know, my dad never said the words, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I never got to hear that from my dad at 90. He still wanted to hear those words. Well, what do we do? Uh, because I find like we, we do a topic like this and we go into it thinking, we're, you know, parents that are listening to this program right now, and we're on from New York City into Alaska, and they're, they're thinking we're going to get some advice and some tips on how to deal with our kids self-diagnosing themselves on TikTok. But the reality of it all is that they are the best therapy for their kids in being a better parent, and many of them don't even know that they're not being the best parent they could be because they don't know this stuff. And, and I feel like that's, that's right. where the disconnect is, and if parents knew, they'd mm-hmm. do it. Right. If somebody said, you, you got to right. approach it this way. And, you know, there's always parenting books. Right. But I, I, I've always said, you know, raising kids isn't easy and it, they don't come with instruction manuals and they don't. Um, but but there are good books out there and there are folks like okay. you. But I think most people don't think they need a book or they need a, a you. Right. <laughs> they just think they've got this because they do what their parents did. And they go, look, I turned out OK and I'm going to do it for my kid. And what many people describe as generational curses are really just uh, generational issues that have just not been addressed from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm going to just say two words, pay attention. Hmm. If, if I don't say anything else tonight on the show, I'll say this to every parent that's listening, pay attention to your child, what they're going through, where they are, what they're doing, changes in the behavior, changes in the appetite, 
changes in their grades, when you start seeing changes for the teens, that's when you really should start paying attention because how we attach to our kids will determine whether our kids bend under stress or break under stress. Hmm. And so we've got to pay attention to where they are and who they are. And the more you do that, everything else will start falling into place. But those two words will change your life. Well, words of wisdom from the man himself, Dr. Vince Callahan. Doc, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, trust me, I'll be knocking on your door again to have you on sometime soon. Folks, follow All right, him man. on his website, find-fl.com, find-fl.com. Vince Callahan, you, sir, are a, uh, a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy your show. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Let's go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Lee calling from Burlington, Vermont, WVMT. Lee, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, I didn't get through when your guest was on, but uh, there's an article that was published in 1972 in Science Magazine, you know, the science journal that the American Association for the Advancement of Science puts out. And my husband always used it in his classes. He was a psychologist, licensed in two states, Pennsylvania and Vermont, but he was not a clinical psychologist. He was a behavioral psychologist. And he was also a professor of education. His specialty was tests and measurements. And he had this article to show that until you can define what you're measuring, you can't measure it. And the, the, the article was where some, in order to do an experiment, they had normal people from normal walks of life, they managed to get them into mental hospitals as patients when they were actually normal people. And when they did this, the psychiatrists, because they didn't pay attention to what the patients were doing, but right. the other patients who were mentally ill were paying attention and were saying to these normal people, what are you doing in here? You're not crazy. <laughs> they would filter them out themselves. It's fascinating what will happen when you let people just do what they do naturally. And a lot of times you can figure things out. It's kind of like watching kids. You know, I always thought when my kids were little, I used to watch them. And uh, I would, you know, I would just... If I was quiet enough and didn't interfere, things would just naturally work out. Um, and, and I was always proud of that. You know, it made me feel like if I wasn't around, my kids are going to be okay. And it seems like that that 
continues straight through adulthood. Very, very interesting point that you make, Lee. Thank you for the call. Uh, let's see. Where do we go here? Um, John, we're down to like a minute before the music kicks in. Reno, Nevada, listening online. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Um, I've noticed with my nephew, my nephew has just started ninth grade. And he, uh, he was a lot different than me and my sister. We're both in our early fifties. Um, but kids today, uh, seem to grow up a lot quicker. Um, one of the things that is a major difference is the advent of technology. Um, so much of a child's life today revolves around technology. Whereas when we were kids, we didn't have that. Um, a lot of the problems with raising kids today. I think you're right. Tech time. You're, you're right. Uh, and I think uh, Dr. Callahan pointed that out as well, saying that, you know, um, there was no tablet when you and I were kids for, for us to be given. There was a belt, though, right? There was a belt and a trip to the bathroom <laughs> if, if you made too much noise in a restaurant. And I guess that's what's causing all the trauma, putting everybody in uh, in in the Gen X and Boomer generation in therapy. I don't know. Uh, John, thank you for the uh, observation. And uh, you're right. It's a different time and kids are growing up a different way. That's for sure. Straight ahead, we continue our discussion on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And 28 Republican attorneys general have uh, blasted the Democrats for attempting to close the United States military's largest ammunitions plant. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, you also have um, Republicans introducing legislation to ban federal authorities from removing the Texas razor wire. This is getting bigger and bigger. Actually, a bunch of states have signed on with Texas uh, saying, you know, they're supporting Texas. They agree with this um, nullification, if you will. And I think that's a good thing, too. Um, we need to allow the states to do what they have to do in these emergent times. Now, it doesn't mean we take away uh, the, the federalist aspect of this federalism remains. And in a perfect world, the federal government protects the border. <laughs> That's just how it works in most situations. Uh, but in the event that they are not 
and there is, um, you know, uh, what they're categorizing uh, or characterizing, I should say, as an invasion, then they need to be able to defend themselves. And uh, that's a that's a debate that the courts need to take on and say, yeah, you know what? You're right. In that case, you should. But that hasn't happened yet. So we'll see the back and forth on that. Uh, former uh, White House trade advisor Peter Navarro sentenced to four months for contempt of court for defying a January 6th subpoena. And uh, Democrat Socialists of America have run out of other people's money. <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit. I guess people are no longer dona- uh, donating to the DSA. Excuse me, I can't talk. You know why? Lack of caffeine. I didn't have my, my fix. The, the clock moved faster than I could move. And I also want to get into this. This is interesting. I like this story. Um, it's the story of a book, a book that was written. Originally, the book was written as She is She. And this is, you know, obviously to take on the culture that's going on. There's a culture war against our children, and um, masculinity is almost always labeled as toxic. And now there's a, a sequel to this book called He is He. And uh, Ryan Boomberger, uh, he's an uh, Emmy Award-winning creative person, uh, columnist and author. He's also um, the co-founder and chief creative officer for something called the Radiance Foundation. And I think we need more of these, right? We need more people that are writing books like this, that have organizations like these to counter the radical crazies that are out there doing the exact opposite. People like, uh, you know, every guest on this show gets ambushed by this clip of audio that if you've listened to the show more than once, you've heard me play where this woman who dedicates herself to going into public schools and converting your kids to the, you know, not just the opposite sex, but just anything other than what they are and and celebrates this. And she says, we specialize in, you know, grades five through eight, but you ideally have to get in here between kindergarten and third grade to really make an impact, which she called early intervention. I mean, it's just insane. I'll play that audio later, but I want to introduce our guest, Ryan Boomberger, from the Radiance Foundation. Welcome, sir. Hey, it's great to be here. It's actually Bomberger, but, you know, I've been called all kinds of things, so it's okay. (laughs) You bet. It's got two O's where I am, so I was pronouncing it that way, but Ryan Bomberger, welcome. And uh, the book is called He Is He. And what inspired it? I know it's kind of like a follow-up to the She Is She book that you guys put out, uh, but I guess what was the impetus for writing books about this in the first place? Well, my wife, Bethany, and I, wrote both of these books, and we're parents of four children. We have two boys, two girls, and we happen to live in Loudoun County, Virginia. I don't know if you've ever heard of Loudoun County, Virginia. It's ground but zero for this stuff, yeah. Yes, school board's going wild, and we've, we had our kids in charter school, pulled them out because it was just insanely just subpar compared to homeschooling, and we've spoken at school board meetings, and they have this policy, insane policy called 80-40, where they basically say that they can indoctrinate your kids and let them believe that they can be you know, 96 different genders, and the parents don't need to know anything about it, and keeping secrets from parents as they are <laughs> misshaping your kids, so we were upset about that. And so we thought, hey, how do we approach this with love? And how we just approach this with something that's, that's adorable? And so we wrote these children's books and in rhyme and these, these adorable illustrations, really just pointing out reality. So we celebrate with She Is She, you know, beautiful, undeniable, biological her, and with He Is He, undeniable, lovable him. And it's crazy that our books and our position is the controversial one, but not the ones who want to pretend that we don't know what a woman is and we don't know what a man is. 
What type of reception uh, did you get with She is She, or what type of reception are you getting now with the current book? Unbelievably overwhelming. People love it. And here's the thing. A lot of times in our culture, people are afraid to engage in conversations because they don't know how to start them. They don't know how to talk about these issues. And there's this massive relief because, oh, my gosh, I now have a tool. And that's why, you know, our, our book's available at Radiance.life. But people have a tool to be able to not only teach their kids, but these books teach adults, too. Not only is there the, the story part where there's the rhyme and, and, and sharing some of those basic truths about, you know, binary gender, there are a section, there's one section that's called, what does the Bible say, and lists a, a biblical perspective on that. And the next page says, what does science say? And it reinforces some of the basics. There are thousands of biological differences between girls and boys. And so these are things that people just love, and they're, they're eating it up. And I love that because they feel like, oh my word, this is what I was thinking. I just didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to present it. Yeah, I, I understand that feeling for sure. And Ryan Bomberger, tell me about, um, have you had any negative reception? Anybody saying, how dare you write a book saying that she is she and that he is he? What, what the nerve? Well, <laughs> this has kind of been in the course of, of running the Radiance Foundation. My wife and I have received lots of hate, lots of death threats, and they're typically from, of course, they're from the left, the radical left. They're from LGBT activists, BLM activists. And just so people know, I'm half white, half black, um, which basically, you know, I'm not African-American. I'm just American. But my, my kids are mixed. And we, we live in a, a society where some people feel so free to threaten your life because they don't like your well-informed opinion. And so we're used to this, yes. So we've gotten pushback, of course, from some groups here, here locally, and of course nationally. I mean, we're an organization that's been denounced by the ACLU, by Planned Parenthood, by Media Matters for America, by the NAACP. I was sued, actually, by the NAACP for parroting their name. So it's nothing new to us. We are not going to be shamed into silence because we love people too much to just you know, be in the corner and just be like, okay, I'm just going to be compassionate and inclusive. No, the inclusive stuff is garbage because what it requires is you to, to abandon every common sense belief, every deeply held religious belief and embrace a lie. And we're not willing to do that. Yeah. Well, amen to that. Folks, we're on with Ryan Bomberger. He's a co-founder of Radiance Foundation, radiancefoundation.org. And uh, he's got a brand new book called He Is He, pushing back on the woke culture targeting kids. And uh, straight ahead, I want to get his reaction to this clip of audio that I had mentioned a little bit earlier. That it's, it's just eye-opening to hear this woman, Stacy Robustelli. She's director of education for an organization called High Tops. And over the summer, she made these egregious comments. And we've got the audio clip of it. And uh, I'm going to play it for you when we come back. If you want to chime in on this conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, amigos, welcome back. We're on with Ryan Bomberger. And Ryan, I want you to listen to this clip of audio from a woman named Stacy Robastelli. She's director of education at an organization called High Tops that dedicates themselves to uh, promoting queer theory and and um, and doing it for children in the public school, right? Whichever public school that they they do outreach into public schools to host these assemblies and and get people to um, what's the word that they use um, come out to come out and, uh, you know, make a decision uh, for for their new lifestyle. And their focus is on grades five through eight. But I've got a clip from her saying that she really thinks the focus should be on early intervention on grades kindergarten through second or third grade. Listen to this. The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight because you want to catch kids when they're starting puberty because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school, and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, um, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. So I heard this and I I literally probably fell off my chair. You know, I turned red like a cartoon. Smoke was coming out of my ears. I couldn't believe that people were so brazen doing this type of thing so flippantly as if it were virtuous. And it opened my eyes to realize that just as I think what I believe is virtuous, they think what they believe is virtuous. And we really are at a uh, at a battle here, a battle of culture, a battle of wit. Um, Ryan Bomberger, how do you react to hearing something like that? Well, it's not surprising. It's not shocking. Anybody who is known or done any research on LGBTQ activism, you know that there is such a widespread sort of mentality in how they achieve the the prominence that they've been achieving. And of course, they're going to approach kids. That that's been part of the whole thing here at LCPS. I mean, the amount of porn and pedophilia that is in our middle schools and even in the elementary schools. Uh, it's unbelievable. The, the reality is that kids should never be the testing ground for anyone's emotional sexual affirmation. But yet the relentless woke attacks on gender right. are about the erasure of common sense, basic biology, and what I see as the divine imprint on each of us. Kids need to know this. The problem is, what is it? I mean, we've got schools failing here in LCPS, Loudoun County, one of the richest counties in America. School scores on history, civics, math, reading, plummeting. But don't worry, they get inculcated with all of this LGBT propaganda. And so they're, they're targeting these younger children. And of course, what, this is in partnership with organizations like Planned Parenthood that, of course, is advocating for this gender spectrum sort of, um, I mean, this you want to talk about misinformation, um, but yeah. it's dangerous misinformation because it's leading these kids to carcinogenic drugs and, of course, advocating for these body-mutilating surgeries. This is not some innocence thing. This is not about, oh, I'm different. It's encouraging kids to consider things they would never even think about except for the adults pushing this on them and then bragging about it, especially bragging about keeping it from parents because they think they know better than the people who brought those children into this world and care for them every day. You know, that's the part I think that's really uh, um, at, at the crux of it here is they think they know better than the parents. Uh, obviously, kids are impressionable. They're young and they should be protected. And, and, and that 
is a huge violation, right, for the school system to kind of like just open their arms and succumb to the will of this uh, agenda. But when you also just double down on the fact that so what you're the parent, what do you care? You know, you don't matter. This this um, usurpation of authority from from the family, from the parent to the government, to the school system, uh, I think to me is the most egregious thing I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, because, you know, I remember a year ago we did a, a similar interview to this on this type of topic. And I played a clip of audio from the 1950s for a, a radio talk show host, and he became a TV talk show host called uh, named Joe Pine. And it was interesting. And the topic back then was, a, you know, a guy arguing that people were coming into his neighborhood with comic books and distributing them to the kids to turn the kids gay and saying that, you know, gay was a lifestyle they should consider and blah, 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 right? Very similar to, to what we're seeing today. But there was no drugs to allow you to become a girl. There was no surgery to uh, remove your your breasts. There was no surgery to um, to do any of these uh, things that they're doing now for, for one to change from one sex to the other. And, and I feel like this is really harming children. I'm sure they were being harmed back then, but now we're physically harming them, not just mentally harming them. And I don't know. Sometimes I guess I get discouraged and I think, are, are we winning this or are we losing this, Ryan Baumberger? I think there are many victories, and part of that is what we're, we're trying to do through the Radiance Foundation and educating people about this gender radicalism. That's why we wrote She is She and He is He. Sometimes people, especially parents, don't feel like they are equipped to engage, and they don't want to hurt other people's feelings, and they also don't know the context of issues. When people say, well, do you want a, you know, a dead son or a living daughter? I'm like, first of all, no one actually changes sexes, so this whole gender-affirming terminology is, is so wrong on so many levels. It's gender-attacking or gender-mutilating surgeries. Right. That's what they are. But I think there are some wins. I mean, recently we, we won in Ohio, where the Ohio GOP overrode the Governor DeWine, who is a Republican, oh, yeah. a wayward one, overrode his veto, and they are banning the carcinogenic drugs, the puberty blockers, which are dangerous on so many levels, and um, body-mutilating surgeries. So there are victories. We're hearing, of course, women like Riley Gaines, a swimmer who's fighting the erasure of girls and women in sports. And so I think there's a slow awakening of people like, wait a minute, okay, um, it was fine when it was, oh, you know, it doesn't matter who you love, but actually that's not true, because you can't just accept the L and the G. It's LGBTQ plus, 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 and this is all part of their activism. People also don't know, every major LGBT group supports the, the decriminalization of prostitution. They highly advocate prostitution and the lowering of the age of consent. They highly advocate, every single one of them, um, the violence of abortion. I mean, these, these are the things that you can't just pick and choose. The whole co-opted rainbow flag represents all of these positions. That is its ideology. So it's not a surprise that they are targeting children at a young age, trying to, to warp their mindset and confuse them about our most basic identity. That's why, like, and he and he, he is he, one the book is, is dedicated in part to my father. My dad was a father of 13 kids I, from wow. a family of 15. Ten of us were adopted. And so I, I'm big about identity because in our family and in my life, when your identity is fixed on something that's permanent, like your identity is rooted in Christ, it won't be uprooted by everything else. But we live in a culture that constantly wants you to identify with temporary things. I mean, even the LGBTQ acronym that never, that's, constantly fluid and always changing, doesn't even know what it is. 
And so that's why, you know, we, we address these things and we equip these adults, whether they're parents, teachers, hey, here are some of the basics. This is common sense. We have to reiterate and just affirm with young kids this is who and what you are, and it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to be a girl. It's beautiful to be a boy. And there aren't these narrow definitions of them, but just because, like, my daughter loves climbing trees, she likes wrestling with the boys, it doesn't make her a boy. It makes right. her a princess warrior. <laughs> Such a good point. And, and, and it, this is what we're losing, right? I feel like we're losing touch with that as we participate in society. Society's running laps around us, but there's people out there fighting the good fight like you and your wife. So, Ryan Bomberger, I want to let everybody know uh, how they can get a copy of the book. Uh, I see a link to Amazon here. Um, is that the best place to get it, or should they go to the RadianceFoundation.org website? What say you? Yes, the books are on Amazon, at least for now, but they can go to Radiance.life, and you can see all the books that we've we produced and all the other content, uh, just really life-affirming stuff. Outstanding. I appreciate you being here with us. Ryan Bomberger, uh, co-founder of the Radiance Foundation, author of He Is He and She Is She. I thank you for being here, brother. Keep up the good fight. Folks, we're coming right back. We're going to talk about Israel and more. Don't go anywhere. on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion, and part of what I want to talk about tonight is the um, Israeli Defense Forces and Hamas, right? They continue their their clash, and... Um, the Islamic Jihad in Palestine has been training young children to become terrorists, and that's uh, um, being echoed by the IDF, the Israeli army, and they're, they find constant uh, video footage, photographs, different things that they find as they move through house to house and whatever you know, area that they're trying to uh, secure. And they're finding that the children are being used, and... This is uh, obviously alarming, right? So I want to get to the bottom of this with uh, our guest. Now, our guest is a former senior advisor at the United States Department of State, uh, former special agent as well, and he's uh, the CEO of Arrow Coaching now. His name's Ron Holloway. Welcome, sir. Hey, thank you for having me on. You bet. So, Ron Holloway, uh, I have a clip of the White House press secretary uh, today and uh, just, you know, usually doing what she does best, um, you know, not answering questions. But um, she's fielding questions from the media. And um, we have a clip from Karine Jean-Pierre on CNN earlier today. Listen to this. Prime Minister said no two-state solution. The president makes clear that's a cornerstone. Yeah. Repeatedly, it seems like the prime minister is not listening when the president talks. Is so that wrong? I'm going to be very careful. I'm not going to characterize what the prime minister is saying. I'm just going to not do that. Yeah. What I can speak to is what the president has said. He's been very, very steadfast on this, that it, a, the way to move forward is a two-state solution. It is the right thing for the Israeli people. It is the right thing for Palestinians. They le- need to live and feel security and leave in peace, and that is the way we can move forward. Right. So I'm not going to characterize what he is saying. I'm just going to be very, very clear, and the president has been very clear. He, a two-state solution is the way to move forward. 
Now, Ron Holloway, I know you spent some time uh, working with diplomats and, and you have an understanding of this that maybe the rest of our listeners don't have. Tell me, uh, how do you perceive or what's your reaction to Karine Jean-Pierre's response today? Uh, I thought she was pretty clear, actually, as she said, that two-state solution. And as far as, you know, my thoughts on it is you're not going to find if Israel just overruns Palestine or the Gaza, what next? Do they think they're going to have peace? No. They're going to have pissed off the rest of the world and all of the, the uh, countries around them. So just Israel could win the battle but lose the war. So what, what do you recommend? That they tuck tail and run? I didn't say that. I said they negotiate. They have maybe do do the ceasefire and get women and children out of there. Um, and start a peace process just like we did when I was a peacekeeper in the former Yugoslavia. What would that process look like? First, we've got to get diplomats to the table, representatives. Um, they're going to have to get a... probably get a third party to actually broker some kind of talks, neutral ground, and uh, at least a commitment over one shared thing. Let's not kill women and children for a moment. Let's, let's take a pause and agree to that. We can go back to men shooting each other left and right. Sure. Now, I, I think part of the problem from what I've seen, and um, perhaps you, you have information that, that we don't have, is that uh, I, I believe the IDF is operating under the, the rules of the Geneva Conventions, and they're not there necessarily shooting at women and children. But when there are strikes um, in retaliation to rockets that are coming from hospitals or other areas where women and children are being used as human shields by Hamas, this is where we're seeing some of these casualties. Um, what is uh, your recommendation in a situation like that? You know, I haven't been there, and there's a, something I learned from a diver, uh, divorce attorney. He said there's his side, there's her side, and there's the truth. And I don't think we really have a clear picture of the veracity of everything he said or anybody on the other side is saying. Right. Okay, and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, organization, Arrow Coaching. Sure, I... Uh, Basically, I developed leaders to be third piggies, and I build the organizations into being brick houses. So right. third piggy built a brick house. The wolf landed in the pot. In my version, he takes the wolf out, makes a coat, and wears it into the village. And if people want to learn more about it, how do they find you? They can just find me on my website, arrowcoachingllc.com. Outstanding. Well, thank you for being with us, Ron Holloway. We appreciate it, folks. Yep. Check out his website, arrowcoachingllc.com, arrowcoachingllc.com. Straight ahead, we continue our discussion on this, that, and everything else that's happening in America at night. Don't go anywhere. Your calls as well. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
congratulations on just an amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So Joe Biden uh, was in Superior, Wisconsin today. We're on a bunch of stations in Wisconsin. So if you're in Wisconsin and you're listening to this, you've probably heard this a few times, but how could you not hear it another time? It's so, so funny. Uh, There's actually a Fox News article about it. And uh, my buddy, Mr. Producer, Rich Cementa, uh, one of his tweets that had a video of this was embedded in the Fox News article. I just saw it right before I got on the air. And uh, I was reading it. It was pretty funny. Let me see if I could find it. I I could uh, share it with you. But I want you to hear the audio that I'm talking about. It's uh, President Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden. And he's mumbling about beer. Check this out. Beer brewed here. (laughs) It is used to make the brew beer. (laughs) It's fine. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's <laughs> Beer brew here is used to make the brew beer here. I was wishing to find it. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I wish I did. I, I don't possess the, um, the, uh, the brain power to process that one. But uh, Biden was blasted for his best gibberish yet. And that was in Wisconsin at the brewery speech. Uh, this is great. Multiple users uh, said that it seemed like Biden was speaking a different language while messing things up. Social media users uh, tore into President Biden on Thursday after he made a series of verbal stumbles during an address at this Wisconsin brewery. Biden gave the speech at Earthrider Brewery in Superior, Wisconsin, where he touted his economic record. Oh, and we all know Bidenomics is doing great. And the success of his bipartisan infrastructure uh, legislation in a bid to shore up support for his 2024 reelection bid. However, online onlookers were distracted from the economic talking points and extended um, gaffes that were being made by Biden. So they had at it. And uh, partway through the remarks, he appeared to mumble, the beer brewed here is used to make the beer brewed here. That's the sentence that was uh, blah, 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 blah. Earth Rider. Ooh, the Great Lakes wonder why. (laughs) Play it again. Play it again. I think it's so funny. Beer brewed here. (laughs) It is used to make the brew beer. (laughs) Oh, Earth Rider. Thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why. (laughs) As he was trailing off, the audience's laughter drowns him out. And it seemed so unclear what he was saying. So they were laughing. Uh, At least that's why I'm laughing. And uh, Twitter users didn't get the joke either. Uh, A bunch of people weighed in uh, on the conservative side of the aisle, you know, just making jokes and adding the clip. And um, my buddy, Mr. Producer, executive producer of the Mark Levin Show, uh, he described the moment as Biden's best gibberish yet. Uh, Beer brew here-ish used to make the beer brew har-ish. We're defining ooh, earth rider. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm killing you here, but uh, I I had to. This was good stuff. And that was what Biden said at at the beer brewery. Now I know some of you are saying, come on, Rich, get to more serious things. I will, I promise. But that's the stuff that makes that I come into work for moments like that. I really, really do. And uh, of course, Biden's saying, what recession? We didn't have a recession. Everybody was saying recession and there wasn't one. And of course, on, on paper, I think we were technically in one. But of course, we, um, we, we have avoided this. And, and that's a good thing, right? We don't want the country to tank. We want the country to, to be where it was for people to have more 
annual household income, that median household income to go up. So there's more disposable income so people could spend more, do more, save more, buy more. That doesn't seem to be happening. Um, I, I can tell you just for myself, I would love to buy a um, two or three bedroom condo in Miami Beach. I'd love that. But what they cost, even a studio I take, you know, I'm not going to be there forever, you know, for trips and whatnot. But I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, maybe even yeah, two and a half years ago, there were still some older Art Deco buildings that that had reasonably priced units in them. And those seem to have gone away. Now I've seen a couple pop back into the market. When you do see one, it's a diamond in a rough and it's like cash deal only. Point is, it's not affordable like it used to be. It's just not. I mean, you're talking about New York prices in Florida. And that wasn't always the case. Miami is expensive. Granted, it's uh, an adult playground for everybody in the world. But that's just the example that I use. I have little alerts that I follow and I check the prices on these things. And I see that, you know, things went from like 180K for like a one bedroom and older um, Art Deco building to same places, you know, 400K. And it's, I think it's trickling down now. But they're around 330, you know, a far cry from 180 at midway through 2022, you know, or at the end of 2022, early 2023. Um, so uh, to that, I say no bueno, right? That's not good. And people are seeing this all over the place. People would love to, to be able to buy more and do more. But our dollars don't go as far as they used to. And this is why people have inflation as their number one concern up until immigration just surpassed that on Monday. Doesn't come as a surprise to me in the least. Anyway, um, he went on to talk about um, inflation and the recession and all of that. And I'll play that clip for you when we come back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The real story about the U.S. economy. Nobel Prize winner Paul Krugman lays out the dollars and cents for why Americans are wrong to feel so down about it. How's the economy doing? Well, there's the difference between how it looks and how it feels. Right. Actually, the economy's doing okay right now. If you actually take a step back, the U.S. economy is strong. The economy, by all objective measures, is doing pretty damn well. The economy has actually been incredibly strong. The Biden economy is great. Yes. How does it look? Uh, honestly, pretty damn fantastic. But will voters give President Biden credit for it? The question for Biden is, will voters give him credit? When we report on how great the economy is doing, 
What do you do you feel that? Why aren't voters giving President Biden credit? Americans don't seem to be giving him the credit. Why is that? And what does he have to do to turn that around? If people aren't paying attention to it, then it's very hard to go out and take credit. Voters don't like understand essentially or grasp that he's had these legislative wins. Most voters don't understand what you're trying to tell them. Are we going to get to the point? where facts do not matter. And for the, the economy example, people are going to feel the way that aligns with their political party. Republicans are never going to say the economy is good historically while there's a Democrat in office. If you ask me about the economy, they start looking at it through these partisan lenses and they tell themselves stories that are completely at odds with the reality. Nobody wants to give Joe Biden credit for what is really a remarkable situation with the economy. Why don't people give him credit? Well, I don't know. That's the American psyche right now. We're we're in a bad sort of mood. Do you think there's an element, you know, people just like being unhappy? <laughs> we're just in a bad sort of mood. People like being unhappy. No, Sangano, that's not the case at all. People like to have money. People like to feel successful. People don't want to work, 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 and just pay taxes all the time and be broke. That's just the reality. People don't want to be in a bad mood. People are in a bad mood because everything is not working right around them. Come on. These guys can't be that thick, that dense. But maybe they are. Anyway, that, that's the media on Joe Biden and his economy. Now, I want you to hear Joe Biden on Joe Biden and the economy. Listen to this. The experts from the time I got elected were insisting that a recession was just around the corner. Every month there was going to be a recession. Well, you know, uh, we've got really strong growth. Listen to this. Here's this morning's headlines from the Wall Street Journal and other papers. Quote, U.S. shatters expectations. Second headline, the U.S. economy boomed in 2023. Third, U.S. economy grew at a shocking pace. I love that shocking pace, Pete. <laughs> but my favorite is from the Wall Street Journal. Quote, what recession? Growth ended accelerating in 2023. Folks, look. And by the way, the economic growth is stronger than we had during the Trump administration. Our, my predecessor recently said he was actually hoping for the economy to crash. His quote, hoping for the economy to crash. Can you believe it? Uh, well, he said he's hoping because he hopes it happens soon while I'm still president. That's what he's hoping for. Well, thanks to the American people, America now has the strongest growth, the lowest inflation rate of any major economy in the world. You know, if I was running for president against Biden, I would also hope that the economy would crash on his watch. Why would I want that to happen on my watch? We already know that while he's bragging about the lowest uh, uh, rate of, of inflation in whatever world he mentioned, developed world, um, let's not forget what it was in the previous administration and what it is now. Right. They claimed it was a supply chain problem. They claimed it was covid. It's twenty twenty four. That's all I got to say. Yeah, uh, whatever's happening with our economy. Listen, I'm not saying Biden is uh, a complete disaster. That's him on the border. Uh, I will say that there are still um, some glimmers of hope in, in the economy. We did see some growth. Okay, super. We should be seeing growth. I, I would like to see four and four and a half percent growth all the time. Not just sometimes, all the time. Right. This is the problem. People should be getting their four, five, six percent uh, cost of living increase. Some people got that. But with the rate of inflation at whatever it was, again, by their standard, 18 percent um, and by, you know, many others going way higher and you know, into the 30 percentile for certain items, then how do you keep up? 
if you're only making four or five uh, percent more on your paycheck, right? I mean, let's be real here. Life is life. Uh, thank God the price of eggs came down, but I legit stopped buying them. I stopped buying eggs, uh, at least at my gross, local grocery store. And honestly, altogether, I just stopped. I started eating out because I felt like I was spending the same amount of money and I didn't have to wash the dish. But insane to think that eggs got to the price that they were, or we were seeing those those uh, memes all over the social media where people making jokes, you know, saying grandmas are hitting the streets and they're slinging eggs on the corner right, because they're trying to make some extra money. That I can tell you didn't happen in the previous administration, like he alluded to in his comments. So we have to call a spade a spade. And if I say, you know, there was some growth during uh, the Biden economy, we didn't go under. We didn't have uh, as serious a recession uh, beyond on paper recession of two slow growth uh, quarters in a row. Uh, Great. I'm glad that it wasn't worse. And I will give Biden that credit. You can write it down. 11.57 p.m. on the 25th of January, 24. But that doesn't mean he's doing a good job by any means. By any means, he's not doing a good job on the economy. And most Americans know it. And that's why he's polling so bad. Anyway, we're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. I don't want you to move a muscle. We're going to talk about everything under the sun and more as soon as we get back. Don't go anywhere. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, welcome to the program. It's our number three. We call it Open Phone America here. That's a time-honored tradition on this program, uh, dating back as long as I've been alive. And I welcome you to, to the show, and here's the phone number, 833-482-5337, valdez is the number. I want to hear from you. We're talking about a bunch of things tonight. We talked a little bit about Israel. Uh, Should they have a two-state solution? Should they not? Uh, We talked about the Biden economy. We're going to talk about that a little more. He says it's fantastic, and people just don't know what they're talking about. And the media backs him up and says people just like to be mad. (laughs) Okay. And, uh, of course, we we also talked about the uh, continued attack on children and gender where, uh, you know, boys are being told they can become girls and vice versa. And now surgery is thrown into the mix. And, uh, of course, we talked about a lot with Dr. Vince Callahan about parenting and about the the impact of kids viewing TikTok and using that to diagnose themselves with all sorts of mental health issues. And um, it doesn't surprise me, but it definitely concerns me. And um, I want to get to your calls as quickly as I can. But I wanted to point out a couple of things. Joe Biden's been talking about his economy, saying the economy's fantastic. The economy's this, it's that and the other. Yet I'm looking at my rundown today. I, you know, our producers put some stories together and they send them my way. And 
Uh, I mentioned a couple of them earlier. I was supposed to circle back to two of them, one of them being Alabama becoming the first state to execute a prisoner using nitrogen. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I want to talk about that one. But another one here, Microsoft lays off 1,900 employees. That's almost 2,000, 1,900 employees from their gaming division. Now, why would that happen in a Bidenomics economy? I know why. It's not as good as he says it is. That's why. And we also have, let's see here, uh, blah, blah, blah. They want to close an aluminum plant. That's not a good idea. It doesn't seem like it. Um, oh, then we have In-N-Out Burger. Now, if you've ever been out to L.A. or at least the West Coast, I know In-N-Out Burger is a very good uh, burger place. And there's a chain of them. I uh, ate at one. I ate right in the parking lot outside. They had some tables and chairs set up. It was very nice. I was there with my children. I think it was 2017, maybe, that we went there. So I don't know, whatever amount of years ago that was. <clears throat> And I can tell you that it was fine. We were in um, L.A. County at the time. It was it was fantastic. Or maybe it was um, San Diego County, one or the other. But um, either way, it was nice, is my point. And now they're closing a store for the first time ever. Now, they're not going to say that the economy is the reason. No, they're saying crime is the reason. Things are out of control. Why? Because the left has embraced crime and just basically said, no, these people are not criminals. They are they are oppressed, and because they're oppressed, they're acting a certain way, and because they're acting a certain way, we shouldn't prosecute them, and we shouldn't um, put anybody in jail if they're stealing less than uh, 950 or or 1000 bucks. So people just started stealing $800 worth of stuff, walking right out the store, not even store security stops them in half the situations. And then that one crazy case we saw where a woman, I think it was a Lowe's or a Home Depot, who was uh, an employee trying to stop them, they knocked this lady down, then she died. It was horrible. Right. So people don't want to be involved in this, but we are creating bedlam and chaos with our policies. And when I say our, I mean, Joe Biden and the left and his friends. And I don't mean us. I'm talking about as Americans, we all pay the price. That's the us. So um, those are the topics that we, we've put out there. I want to get your thoughts and opinions on a lot of this stuff. And I don't want to keep you waiting. I know last night we didn't get to everybody. And I always feel bad when that happens. Let's see. Where do we go here? I want to go to, uh, let's start with whoever's been on hold the longest. Uh, that would be a break. No. Oh, Frank. There we go. Uh, Frank in Cumberland, Maryland. Um, what say you, sir? In an earlier segment around 1125, you mentioned a, a talk show host named Joe Pine. Yes, who, Joe uh, was, Pine. Very good. He's a pioneer in the talk show game. Yeah, well, it was before you were born. Uh, oh, for sure. And well, what connection do you remember him? Why do you remember him? And uh, that's it. And yeah, also, if sure. Well, let me answer the first question. It's very similar to why you probably know about George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Joe Pine is a, a pioneer in, in talk shows and talk radio and then in television. And, um, you know, being a professional broadcaster, I try to do my best to study some of the best in the business to see what they do, how they did it, what it was like. Um, and you know, oftentimes looking back at the limited amount of technology that they had way back when and realizing, you know, when you have limited technology is really when you get the best of, of, of any product, right? So, for example, uh, my early days in radio, I would be called upon to do like substitute work in certain areas. And I, I worked with a station, I love this station, in Philly, WPHT, the big talker, 1210. We're not on there now. Uh, hopefully we'll be on there one day. But 
um, up until recently I was on there. And I can tell you that when I would do shows there, they wouldn't, they'd give me free reign. They'd say, Hey, look, we need, uh, we need you for two or three hours on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, and it might be less time cause we might preempt you because you know, uh, there might be a game, uh, but in the, those three hours are yours, unless they're cut down to an hour, an hour and a half. And I'd say, all right, cool. And you know, and they're like, if you have any audio clips you want to bring and you know, th- this station, they were very kind to me and they let me do my own thing. They're like, you want to use your own intro music? You want to do your own, whatever you want to do, it's on you. It's your show. And, and uh, I had free reign, which not every station is like that. A lot of them will say it's special programming. It's going to come in like this. It's going to sound like that. You're filling in for so-and-so. This just happened to be, I think they had some, uh, uh, like paid programming on in that time frame, And that, that, um, sponsor or whomever was no longer there. Uh, I think it was like a pregame sports show and they wanted to fill it with some news talk. So anyway, long story short is I, I had a producer and, um, he was terrific, terrific guy. And he, um, he was really good at doing voiceovers. So I, during one of the breaks, he, uh, he did an impression of Rush Limbaugh and they did another impression of Levin. And I was like, man, you're pretty good at those. And he was like, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I like to practice my announcer voice. And I was like, you have an announcer voice. And, and I'm all of that to say back in the days, you know, you really had an announcer and a talk show host, right? So, you know, now it's a recording of this woman that says, and now Rich Valdez, right? She's there. She's not in the studio with me. But back in the days, that was a live person there. And to me, that was the best programming ever. And even even earlier than Joe Pine, when you heard the music coming in, which is why I, I use the old school music, the, the, the brass, woodwind, uh, that, that classic sound uh, that we try to have. And I throw in a little hip-hop and some more modern tunes. But I, I wanted that because a lot of times these people would come with their trumpet into the studio and they would, the instruments were there and they would make the music right there, obviously. And an announcer would say, and now and host name. And, and then the host would come in and host the show. And it was um, quite a remarkable production. And to me, that was the essence of radio where you really emphasize using the theater of the mind and bringing that to life, which is why I love this medium. And, and that's what I want to do with my career. But we have some more technology now. We don't need live people. We actually can do recorded segments that are recorded in a studio and sound terrific and produced well. And then we could play them. And, you know, some people like the voiceover voices. Some people don't like the voiceover voices. That, voices that's a you know, different topic for a different day, Frank. But ultimately, um, that's the reason I know Joe Pine. Because while, of course, you know, his show was in the 50s and I was born in the late 70s, obviously... Um, Good is good, and you can't you can't uh, deny that Joe Pine was really really good at this craft. Well, thought he was a rat. He used to humiliate people. That's yeah, well, that, that's part of I think that is part of what makes a, a good talk show host. I mean, Howard Stern has some of that. Um, one of my favorites, Bob Grant. Bob Grant, who is a mentor to Mark Levin, who was a mentor to me, uh, mentor to Howard Stern, who was a mentor to Curtis Sliwa. Um, he uh, mentored a lot of people, Bob Grant, and this guy was great. I mean. He would, you know, people would call and disagree and say, Mr. Grant, I think you're wrong on X, Y, and Z. And he'd say, I think you're a snake. <laughs> it was so funny to me, right? It was, it was very funny. So I think there is a, an element of humor that comes with um, somebody being uh, somewhat belligerent uh, to, uh, to, to callers that they disagree with. Do you have statistics on sex change operations? Is it widespread or is it just something people like to talk about? 
I'm not sure. I know that the numbers are going up from what I've seen. I mean, there's a, a big hospital that that came under fire last year and they were doing more than they'd ever done because they're adding these wings. Um, and it's not sex change per se, like it was back in the days. So for example, like, you know, people actually doing like a penile inversion and turning it into a vagina. Uh, but more so it's uh, the mastectomy, very prevalent. And if you were on social media, you'd see it. These people celebrate this stuff by putting a, a post on Instagram. They don't really use Facebook, the young people like that, but um, uh, TikTok. And they celebrate uh, the fact that they've taken off their breasts and, and they show these scars as a badge of honor. And it, it's, um, yeah, I guess for some people they celebrate it. And for others, they just feel so... Um, um, you know, taken aback by it. I know I do. I see that and I go, oh my gosh, poor girl. You know, I would, I would hate for, for any of my children to be in that position where their, their mental health is so um, impacted that they feel that they have to hurt themselves in one way or another in order to fit in or to be in the quote unquote right body. So uh, yeah, while it's on the rise for sure. And we know that because the number of suicides is, is on the rise for, for these types of things. And, and that's always, you know, sad. It's a very sad thing, and I think that's why we talk about it as much as we do. But thank you. Very good insight, Frank, on a lot of different things. We went from uh, Joe Pine to to sex changes and everything else in between. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls as well. Straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now 833 4Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, Frank from WCBC in Cumberland, Maryland, he brought up a, a good question, which was, um, you know, how often are these surgeries happening? These gender affirming surgeries, sex change operations. And listen to this. This is in stat news. It's in the AP. It's in um, New York times uh, from uh, this past summer, gender affirming surgeries tripled in the United States between 2016 and 2019 study finds the number of gender affirming surgeries taking place in the U S nearly tripled between those three years, according to new national estimates from a cohort study in JAMA, the um, medical journal. Over 48,000 people got some type of gender-affirming surgery between 2016 and 2020, with a slight decrease in the number of surgeries in 2020, likely because of the pandemic and the lack of uh, availability of surgeries. Breast and chest surgeries, genital surgeries, and other facial or cosmetic procedures increased during that time period across age groups. So there you go. It's on the rise. 
56% of these surgeries in the four-year period were breast and chest procedures. Uh, people ages 19 through 30 were the recipients of over half of all of these surgeries. Look at that. That's our young people. While youth ages 12 through 18 made up a small portion at 7.7%. And again, this data is already from this past summer, but it's pulling from data that's already four years old at this point. Researchers analyzed data from 2016 to 2020 in the nationwide ambulatory surgery sample, which collects uh, hospital data, and the national inpatient sample, which collects from community hospitals, uh, identifying patients who had diagnosis codes that indicate transgender experience along with the occurrences of gender-affirming surgeries. So again, these people were, were having these gender-affirming surgeries, and they did, in fact, identify as trans. The analysis comes at a time when the evidence-based gender-affirming care is under attack. And I would say that's good. We shouldn't call this gender-affirming, right? We should call it what it is, sex change, gender reassignment, whatever you want to say. And, and, and the language matters, right? If you say gender reassignment, they're going to say, I was not assigned male at birth. I was not assigned. Sure you were. I mean, you're assigned it in the womb, let alone birth. Anyway, 22 states have uh, at least attempted to ban these types of surgeries and treatments such as hormones uh, and surgeries for youth and misinformation about kids and gender affirming care is rampant. Um, yeah, of course, there's a lot of people out there saying it's the right thing to do. Like uh, the guest mentioned earlier, saying things like, would you rather have a, a living daughter or a dead son? You know, suggesting that if you don't let your kid have this surgery and, and become your daughter, he's going to kill himself. And I think the reality is that, you know, there's still a chance of them killing themselves anyway. The study uh, confirms that surgical intervention for trans youth um, continues during the four-year span. 3,678 people ages 12 through 18 received uh, gender-affirming surgeries. The, the vast majority, over 3,200, were breast and chest, which I mentioned earlier. And 405 uh, were genital surgeries. So genital surgeries are harder to pull off. And I think most people are fearful of that. And I'm glad they're fearful of it. Now, I, here's a quote from Katie Miller. She's the medical uh, director of adolescent medicine at Children's Minnesota. And she says, I don't know a single patient who's ever had any kind of genital surgery under the age of 18. Well, clearly there's some data right here that says that they've got 405 of them doing that. So I don't understand. And they're between the ages of 12 and 18. Anyway, uh, so that's what she says. Uh, good job, Director Miller. And she says, so the idea that it's easy to get gender affirming surgery, I mean, any queer or trans person will tell you that that's simply not true. No, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying that there's literally people out there. Uh, advocating that you can get it and that you can get it between 12 and 18 without telling your parents is what they would ideally like because people don't want their their parents to weigh in on these big situations. Anyway, that was just a little bit of a response for uh, Frank because I think he brought up an excellent uh, question. And I want to get to your calls. I see we've got calls from Fargo, North Dakota, WDAY. We've got calls from Pittsburgh, KDKA. From Manila, Philippines, listening online, Rich Valdez, America at night.com. And of course, uh, Boise, Idaho, listening online as well. And we've got more coming in. I always like to see where's my New York callers at? Where's Oregon? Where's Texas? Where is the West Coast? Uh, California, what's up? So 
Anyway, we're going to get to your calls momentarily. I don't want to shortchange you and bring you on right now, uh, but definitely going to get into that. And I, um, there was another topic. I, oh, yes, the YouTube channel. I've been forgetting this for days. So uh, the network that broadcasts the show, the Westwood One Radio Network, they, uh, they do an excellent job putting this show together and replaying it every day on YouTube. And you don't get to see me talking or anything like that. We might adjust that in the future. But you do get to see uh, uh, the, the logo of the show, and you get to hear the whole show. And I recommend you do that if you check out YouTube. And if you, while you're there, subscribe to my YouTube channel because uh, we're going to be doing more video, even if it's short clips of interviews and whatnot. And I'm interested in knowing how many of you even use YouTube. So uh, keep that in mind. Folks, we're coming right back. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. regular callers on the line tonight. I'm going to get to your calls right now. Um, where did I want to start here? Let's see who's been on hold the longest. Uh, let's go to Bill, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Bill, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Hey, uh, hi, Rich. Uh, How are you? I had to stop. I had to stop last night before I fell, back. I fell asleep uh, with uh, Jefferson's on in the bedroom, my wife snoring, my dog taking off the bed. Anyways, look, this is my idea. I don't know how to get it rolling, but since Washington, since since the politicians, most of the politicians from Washington will not shut down the border, how about we shut down Washington, D.C.? And we're going to do that with everyone that's that lives in America, every state, every we're going to Washington, we pick a date and you drive down. And, and what's going to happen is uh, we're going to the city's going to fill up with cars and folks and people. And then the Beltway, the I-95 is going to be uh, uh, packed, backed up like like a blood clot almost ready to explode. We shut down I-95, truckers, everyone, and then we march on to the White House. Well, you know, they, they did something similar on January 6th of 2021, and um, it was co-opted, right? It was co-opted by, in my opinion, federal agents that were instigating in the crowd, uh, Capitol Police that shot at the crowd. The crowd retaliated. Some of them were walking through, flagged right in by the cops. It, it became an ugly scenario so I think that while you can create a peaceful march in Washington, and I support your right to free speech any day, all day, I'm not discouraging it in any way. I think it's a great thing. I'm just saying as a word of caution, remember the last time there were, you know, several hundred thousand people in Washington and uh, how that went down. And we have to learn from our history so that we don't repeat it because there are bad people out there and they don't want what's good for you. Now, 
I like the idea of shutting down the government, especially financially, like, you know, not passing a budget, shutting it down, um, starving it, right? I think that's the way to do it. When you starve the government, right, this is the, the mother's milk of politics is cash. And when you don't have any cash, when they, they can only spend on essential services, you know, the first day or two, they're like, ah, whatever, it's a furlough, don't worry, we'll, we'll get it back to you in back pay, right? What happens in week five? What happens in week 10? Right now, all those loyal, very loyal government people that know they're eventually going to get paid a big fat check for the time they were out. But things start to get tighter at week 10. Now, those of you listening going, Rich Valdez, are you really suggesting starving the, the government workers? I'm saying starve the swamp. When, when you starve the swamp, it's kind of like a diet, right? Like the keto diet. I did the keto diet. I lost close to 70 pounds. And the way I did that was simple. When you stop eating carbs, you starve your body of carbs. And after a while, you go into something called ketosis where your, st- your body starts to burn fat as fuel instead of burning carbs because you don't have any in your body to burn. So it switches over to the next supply. And this state of ketosis helps you to burn a lot of fat and you lose weight quickly. Not easy to get into ketosis, but it works. So I think when you do this, you will win over the people and you're going to get them on your side when they say, yeah, yeah, let's open up the government. Just let's work with the Republicans. They don't want to spend anymore. Let's not spend anymore. You know, Joe Biden, do what you got to do, because when people are suffering, right, when they're out on the street uh, and I don't mean on the street, but I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're not working and they're not getting uh, their paycheck, arguably. Now they're going to look at things very objectively and say, hmm, you know, some of them will feel like they have a gun to their head. But most are going to say, you know what, now they're forced to listen. And I think when they lose the support of the White House that's being so flippant in these situations, or, or even uh, the, the Democrats in the House and the Senate that, you know, just want to blame everything on Republicans, I think eventually people open up their ears. And that's what happened now, right? People have been starved of a good economy. And because they've been starved of a good economy, because they've been starved of peace, right? We had peace. We didn't have conflict. There were no new wars with Trump. But now we have Ukraine, we have Israel, and brewing stuff now in Yemen where we're constantly at, uh, uh, in conflict there. Um, a lot going on, a lot more than, than there was in the last administration. So I think people, um, they start to think and they look at that and they go, hmm, you know what? You're right. Not good. Not good for me. No bueno. Sign me up. Give me Trump back. And I think that's why people are going to the Bronx with a camera and a microphone and people are saying, give me back. Uh, Donald Trump and F. Biden, because clearly things were better for them in that situation. When you starve people of what they really want and what they need, they start to pay attention. Uh, Maybe that's draconian. Maybe it's um, a little heavy handed. I don't think so. I think if the Republicans pull this off the right way, you get people to pay attention and you move forward. We, We spend entirely way too much money on things that we don't need anyway. And that's just the bottom line. Uh, Bill, I appreciate your call. Good luck with everything you're doing. And a big shout out to everybody listening on KDKA. Let me see. I continue. Uh, I want to go here to, let's see, Fargo, North Dakota, W-D-A-Y. Go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks. What's on your mind? Oh, I just wanted to make a couple comments I wasn't able to get in last night. But you had a caller from San Francisco 
And I know that she's probably been called worse names, <laughs> but it's been pretty insulting to you, and yeah. you don't deserve it. Oh, but I well, thank you. People should know that David is a professional activist who calls stations all across the country all day long, all week long, and people should know that it's not the opinion of the average American. Um, does this more or less for a living? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't know that about him, but I figured as much. I know he's a regular caller here, and usually um, people that are regular callers that disagree with you regularly call, you know, your colleagues too, <laughs> uh, because they, they do that. And, but I always appreciate those calls because I think it gives us, you know, contrast and an opportunity to have a discussion, but I, I appreciate what you're saying and the, the, your kind words. And yeah, I think he called me, he said, are you that dumb? Are you really that dumb? And this is ultimately how it happens. Right. And I tried my best to, to maintain my composure, not yell at him or hang up on him, which is very common for me in early part of my career. Um, but coming into late night radio, and following a, a legend like Jim Bohannon, it, it was kind of like, you, you don't do that here, right? Bohannon was a gentle giant, if you will. So I had to take a different approach, and I enjoy this new approach, the new improved Richie V, where uh, I'm nicer to people. Like, you kill them with kindness, and you let them hang themselves with their own rope. And I think that's what he did, and they all do. Because ultimately, it's not because I'm always right. It's because when you can't make an argument for yourself, you ultimately end up insulting people. It's okay to insult people if you want to insult people, but don't insult them because you can't argue the point that's on the table. That, I think, is a, is a, is a coward's way out. Uh, so, Eric in Fargo on WDAY, thank you, sir. You're a gentleman. I appreciate you. Call back anytime. It's a, it's a real pleasure to speak with you. We're going to continue with calls from California on the line, the Philippines on the line, Idaho on the line, and more coming in as we speak. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And a couple of things I just want to throw out there that I want to talk about tomorrow. Um, two things. One is I want to hear about interesting relationships with in-laws. Do you, do they support you? Do you support them? Do they get in your business? Really curious to know uh, about that fa family dynamic. And the other thing I want to know is, I want to say, um, I broadcasted out of our DC studio one time and a couple of times, but the last time I was there, I ate the most horrid pizza ever. Now, listen, I'm a kid from Brooklyn and there's some decent pizza in Jersey now, but there's not a place on the planet I can imagine that has better pizza than New York City. And, and if there is, I want to debate that tomorrow. It's not National Pizza Day or anything, but 
maybe it is. Who knows? I don't know when that is. But uh, I, I do want to have that conversation with you. But for now, we'll stick to the topics, uh, immigration and uh, TikTok diagnoses and the Geneva Conventions and everything else that we talked about tonight. Uh, let's go to Patty. She's calling from Ventura, California, KVTA. Patty, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Wow. Hi. I can't believe I'm on. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you called, Patty. How are you? Well, I'm all right. I'm just, I can't believe, Rich, that we're, we're looking at the repeat of 2020. What the heck makes everyone think it's going to be different, the outcome? Really? Well, I can tell you for me. I, I suffer from a disease called optimism. I, I really do. Um, I, I believe that if you rob my gold chain while I'm walking through some neighborhood in Harlem in 2020, doesn't mean that you're going to rob my gold chain when I walk through that same neighborhood in 2024. Now, that being said, I'll probably be armed the next time I walk through that neighborhood, or maybe I won't walk through that neighborhood. But in the case of an election, you have to have elections every four years for president. That's a given. I think Trump... Um, is is keen to what's going on he's got a better legal apparatus he understands the the stakes are different this time around uh he knows a lot more what he's dealing with uh i think also there's a lot of people out there that didn't believe look at vivek ramaswamy right and we have a clip of it i don't know where it is but he said recently he said you know if you would have asked me in uh two years ago about a stone election i would have said that's crazy talk said, I'm just the CEO of a biotech company doing what I got to do to make a billion dollars. But after looking at this and giving it serious consideration, I've realized there are some serious problems here. And again, this is an educated guy that is um, looking at it from the position of, uh, of a businessman. So I think there's a lot more people out there like Vivek Ramaswamy that are looking at this and saying, you know, we, we had some serious problems with mail-in ballots in a handful of states, and some of those problems have been addressed. Not all, but some. And in some states, they were sort of addressed, and now we're back to square one. So there's legitimate concern there. There's also the legitimate concern of all the people coming across the border, potentially, some of them at least, potentially voting in this election, the ones that have maybe established themselves and have gotten a uh, a driver's license, which in some states automatically registers you to vote. Um where they're allowing illegal immigrants to have driver's licenses. And that's another problem that needs to be tackled. So I, I'm not saying your concern is unfounded in any way, but what I am saying is I just believe that th we've taken steps in the right direction and it was easier to pull off in 2020. It's not so easy now. And the, the way I know it's not so easy now is they've tried to put Donald Trump in jail four times. They didn't try that in 2020. All they did was impeach him once and then a little bit later, Again, uh, but at, at, at this point in time, he's facing 91 felony counts and he's winning in historic uh, fashion in the, in the first two contests of the presidential race. So that tells me that this isn't just an activated and energized Republican Party. These are people that are tired of the same old, same old of the establishment in Washington, Democrats and Republicans doing what they do. And people are saying, I've had enough. Enough is enough. And I played the clip of Michael Moore. Maybe you didn't hear at the top of the program at 10 o'clock p.m. New York time. But Michael Moore is no fan of, of Donald Trump's. But he said he's doing stuff that, that no politician has ever done before. Talking about, I will put tariffs on, on foreign cars if, if, if you, um, you know, 
shut down these plants and take away these jobs from these Americans. Things like that, that, that made a difference to people's lives where they said, you know, I don't care what, what uh, letter is next to this guy's name. I like this guy. And when you speak the people's language, and I think Trump does, I think that is what wins people over. And I think that's where we are, Patty. So I wouldn't lose faith, faith and I wouldn't um, assume that we're doing great either. I would say um, people have to work really, really hard and play like we're behind and play like um, they are going to do what they did in 2020. And we've got to work that much harder. Carrie Lake was on this program once and we played a clip of audio uh, of her saying, I don't care if you have to sleep next to the damn drop box where you've deposited your vote. You make sure you vote and you make sure it gets counted. And I thought to myself, that is the level of commitment that we need. It's that level of commitment where people are willing to, you know, grab a sleeping bag and sleep next to a drop box to make sure there's no shenanigans and no chicanery and no funny business. If that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. We need to have that type of zeal, that type of energy, that type of passion. And I think that is is here now we're seeing it we're feeling it we're living it and i don't think we had that in 2020 because of the uh, pandemic we don't have a pandemic now it's going to be a lot harder to pull a fast one in my opinion patty wait you just wait rich rich i gotta tell you i went to the election here in cal here in ventura california i watched them i said are they looking at the signatures are they legit they wouldn't let you within 50 feet of it so I'm sorry if I have a – okay, I want to be an optimist too. But they're going to do it again. It's well, fine. we'll see. You've got my number, and you know I'll take your call. We're only a few months away, and you can call in many times between now and then. But uh, I have a, 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 a fair feeling that um, we won't be as disappointed as we were in 2020. That doesn't mean that uh, you know I think that we can't lose. I think we can lose. I think there's a lot of things on the line here, and this is not easy. But I, I don't believe it's going to be as brazen as it was. We're not going to just see magical ballots appear uh, because we've seen Republicans win since then. And I mean, in New York City, Vicky Palladino was one in a huge mandate in Queens, New York, a Republican. So I, we're seeing more and more of those situations. I don't believe that every Republican is a loser. I think there's plenty of Republicans out there that can win. And we just got to keep fighting. And that's that's the bottom line from where I'm at. Patty, thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody listening on KVTA Ventura, California. We're coming right back in the speed round. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's the speed round. We got to keep it really, really tight. Gil in the Manila, Philippines, uh, you have something to say about Nikki Haley. What's up? Yes. Uh, hello, Ricardo. Um, hello. You know, I think I mentioned uh, one of my health issues was uh, losing my hearing. Uh, but thanks to the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, they got me a very nice hearing aid. Nice. And, uh, pretty good deal. But anyhow, uh, now that I get to listen to Nikki Haley after she's strained her voice uh, in uh, Iowa and, and New Hampshire, uh, 
for me, when she talks, it's like somebody rubbing their fingernails against a blackboard. I don't know <laughs> if you noticed that or not, but her her voice was pretty well shot. It gave that little screeching sensation, right? Yeah. I, I didn't see the clip you're talking about, but I know she can get a little high-pitched when she's out there trying to be loud because, you know, it's, it's competitive, and she's going up against El Trompito, so that's difficult. Uh, Gil, thank you for the call. I'm sorry you had to wait so long. Let's see here. We've got... Michael Montecito, California, KVTA. Very, very quickly, you say Trump should announce cabinet positions. Is that right? Yeah. So the way that this is all playing out, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being one of the Latino voices. It's inspirational from one Latino to another. I love you, Mr. Montez. I will say this. Trump has different uh, ranges in conservatism. I'd like to say that we're the dying breed, but we can come together and revive the party by unifying everybody, getting all the anti-perspective, the anti-Trumpers. I think you're right. I think you're right, uh, Michael. Uh, Trump should. And I think, honestly, he is in a subtle way, not officially or formally, because he'd probably have to be the nominee to do that, like he did with the judges list when he was the nominee last time. But ultimately, I think he's out there and he's putting people out on these rallies and these acceptance speeches saying, hey, say a few words. And I think he's auditioning these people. Anyway, Michael, thank you. America, thank you. God bless you. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.